Good morning, Liberty Lake Church. Why don't you all come on in and stand with us? We can start morning with some singing. take a seat and I think we've got Don that's well yeah good morning welcome to Liberty Lake Church I'm happy you're here that's right it's good stuff I hope you had a good week hope you had a good week serving the Lord it's a hoot my name is Don um, I don't have a fancy title, I'm just Don. You ever been to the mall and you get there and something dawns on you? I'm Don. <laughs> Make sure you're looking at the website and your handouts because it gives you all the information of what's happening in church. And there's probably a few things that you'd like to be involved in, participate in, uh, even utilizing, if you see it, you can use a communication card. The pastors and the elders really like to know what's going on in your life. They really do. And they want to know how to 
pray for you, and they do pray for you. So if it's something that is really personal, you can write personal on there, and it doesn't go out. It just stays with uh, our elder staff, amazing men. Youth camp starts tomorrow. Yeah, for all you parental units that need a break, put those kids on the bus and go to Applebee's. Family prayer time is Tuesday, July 27th, 5.30. They have coffee for you. Uh, it's just a good time to gather. Uh, it, you know, it, it's it's so uh, weird about praying together. Um, I have discovered over the years that when you pray with people, there is this mystery of God is involved in praying, praying together. And I don't know, I can't even explain it. I don't know the theology of it. But all of a sudden, our, uh, our differences dissolve, and they go away. And what's important is focusing on the King of Kings. It's exciting. We're going to do a lending library, so we're going to put a little box out here on the property, and we need somebody to kind of get involved with that. So you're changing the books and just watching the inventory, making sure some little guy didn't stick his Slurpee in there four days ago and it's all melted down, you know, just checking on it, that type of thing. Ladies, this is a cool thing. Ladies are going to have an evening Bible study, and they need information. And it's good. They've poured some uh, effort into it. And the cool thing is, gals, is um, we need moms and grandmas there because we've got a lot of young ladies that are real interested in coming, learning, learning God's design, getting involved, et cetera. So anyways, so, um, if you're interested... There's sign-up sheets in the foyer, and uh, Sally Freeze, I don't see her, um, and my bride, Cindy Anderson, are kind of taking the, the steering wheel, the bridge on that. So if you have some ideas or something, you can visit with my bride, Cindy, or Sally Freeze. You know what's really weird about life at large? Have you ever noticed that uh, God's Word, God's Word is a printed truth of God. And Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. Proverbs 3.6 says, in all our ways acknowledge Him and He'll direct our paths. And I just want to share with you um, just, uh, just an amazing story. My bride and I, we volunteer at her niece's shop, which is a thrift store, and she helps people, uh, her and some of her friends, uh, feed the homeless. They, um, they give things away, uh, shoes, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, her niece, Kayla, is, uh, she helps these single moms that live on the streets and uh, are basically addicted to drugs. And uh, she tries to... Uh, assist them spiritually, and she's she had a fancy title. It's court advocate or something, so she goes to court with them. But anyway, long story short, one of the gals that she helped show her the way of Christ 
Uh, Jessica is an amazing woman, just amazing. And she's on her journey, and Cindy and I know her a little bit, but <laughs> the other night, we went down there, we worked all day in the store. And it was hilarious, because Cindy keeps coaching me, did you turn all the lights out up front? Did you lock the front door? Did you do this? Did you do that? And we were running around. Yep, I turned the AC off. Yep, I did this. I did that. And we went out the back door, and I pulled the back door shut, and Cindy went, wait, my purse is in there. Uh-oh. <laughs> and I said, well, yep, if we can get a hold of a butter knife, I can break in this building because... You know, it's an older building. It's way out on the north side of Spokane on Northwest Boulevard. She goes, no, we'll come back in the morning. Uh, so we did. We came back the next day. And I got to tell you something. This is the coolest thing ever. We got there, and Jessica was running the store that day. And uh, she introduced Cindy and I to her uh, cousin, Stephen, and his wife, Jackie. And so I put my hand out, and I shook Stephen's hand, and I said, how you doing, bud? And he goes, not very good. He said, my daughter died two days ago. Four years old. Her name was Penelope. I knew I shouldn't have told this story. This is going to be hard. So Cindy and I just took them and prayed with them and visited with them. And we got back in Cindy's car, and we both said, it wasn't about the purse. It was acknowledging him and the honor of our God. And we got an amazing text from them this morning. They felt God at work. And the mom even said, I'm not a spiritual person, but what a joy to serve the true king and get involved in what's really important. It is so cool. It is so cool. So, all that being said, Elise wants to chat with you for just a couple minutes about Vacation Bible School. I'm Elise. For those of you who don't know me, I'm usually downstairs with the kids, so sometimes I'm not. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, sometimes people don't know who I am. We have VBS coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. Starts on the 9th, goes through the 12th with the actual... Uh, set up for it will be starting about two days before that on Saturday. So we do still have some areas that we need some help with. Um, there's a flyer like this right here out in the foyer that kind of explains some of the areas that we need help with. Um, I'll just kind of briefly go over a few of those. One is adopt a child. So this year's event is a family-style event. In the past, we've done VBS, and it's been children have been dropped off. They stay for a few hours and the parents come back and pick them up. This year, the parents are encouraged to come with them. It's an evening event. It'll be sit down with your children. If you've never seen Mr. J before, it's, it's wow. <laughs> That's all I can say. It'll be a fun event for everyone involved, especially if you like loud music. Um, so it will be event to sit down with your family, but for those that can't make it and still want their kids to enjoy the event, we're asking for families to have a child or a few children sit with them during that during that service. So if any of you are interested in that, um, see myself for any more questions, um, or there's a sign-up sheet out there as well. 
We also have a few more spots for, for dinner for the crew each night. The crew is only six people, so it's not, not a lot to fix. You're not fixing a huge, huge meal. But we do have still three nights left for that. And then also a tech person. Um, and that's basically someone to run the PowerPoint slides during the presentation. Um, it's a bit of a bigger a commitment because you're here when they set up on Saturday. You're here Sunday and each night of the event, um, as well as a brief, I think, 15 to 30 minute um, review before each session. So if you're interested, um, I will be downstairs this morning with the kids, but back up after that. So if you have any questions, feel free to ask me or you can ask Sue Byram or Mary Clyburn. Right, thanks guys. All right, you want to stand with us and we will continue singing.
you, God, that we can say, holy, holy, holy is our Lord, and that we can worship you for that. Amen. You can all take a seat. Kids, you are dismissed. Don't worry, I'm not preaching in the corner. Although it might not be a bad thing. Uh, I have an illustration this morning. It's going to take us just a second to get set up for it. Uh, And so, as the kids are going out, we will get ready for you guys. Uh, I've asked uh, one of Sally's and... and, uh, Sally and I know this young lady. She uh, has been bringing her kids to youth group and hanging out with us, so I thought I'd embarrass her today and have her come up and help me. Shana, would you come up? Uh, Just imagine for a minute, if you guys would, that I'm a pastor, and just imagine, and that I happen to be involved in a lot of different things. I happen to be involved in a lot of different things, and some of them involve stress. Uh, So you guys in your imagination world, because you know that's not true. Okay, so you're there with me, right? And so let's just imagine for a moment that I have an episode where my heart misbehaves, and I decide that I'm, oh, just a second, oh, God, God, God. Um, I decide that I'm going to go to the doctor and get some help. So I'm going to the doctor, but life's busy, right? And so, but... We would all agree that jeez. We would we would all agree that uh, going to the doctor is very very important, and that they would give me life giving information, right? That they would take care. I'm sorry, ma'am. I'll be with you in just a moment. Hello. No, I don't have time. I'm actually at the doctor. You got to give me a minute, okay? I'll be right back. So hi. Hi. I'm here to get my vitals or yeah, something checked. So okay, all right. Yes, well, I am. So anyway, as you, just a second. I don't know what's going on. That thing. Sorry, anytime. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I, no, really, this is super important. I've got to actually take this. It's a business thing, so I'm a pastor. You know, it's really important, yeah. Um, so uh, I'll, if you don't mind, can I get back to you later? Can I make an appointment to give you a call in a little bit? That would be really awesome. So... No, I know it's important, but you've had problems for 25 years. Can it wait? Oh, sorry. Did you guys hear that out? Oh, man. I had to hang this up. Hi, how's your life doing? Do you know Jesus? Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's really good. I'm really glad. I really appreciate Wow. Just a second. Oh, that's probably for me. Would you get that? Hey, just a second. I got another call. Give me a moment. Hello. Oh, hello. Oh, it's from Julie. It's my administrator. Hello. Um, she hung up. <laughs> I didn't get it quick enough. Anyway, did you have some? Oh, yes, man. this isn't looking good. Oh, you know what? I'll just a second. Okay. Let me give me a, just a. Oh, well, okay. Hold on. I've got to deal with something. Else. Give me just a second. Yeah. Well, did, no, you need to. Shh. Okay. Sorry. I'll be right with you just a minute. Would you answer that for me? Thank you. Listen, can you go and get the Bible dictionary thing out and just throw some big words at him, and that'll slow him down? But, but here at my intern. Hello. Okay. Thank. You. All right. You guys. Thank you very much. That is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Okay, tell Craig he can stop calling me now. Oh, that's all right. Sally can fix it. That's hers. Ah, all right. I don't know if that made any sense to you guys. <laughs> oh, man. What we're talking about today is the Sabbath. And turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 17 because he actually takes us right to the Sabbath. And this is part of, part of what Jeremiah, God is calling Jeremiah to remind the nation of Israel about and to redirect them back into a relationship with him. And so we're going to take a few minutes and look at what Jeremiah is challenging uh, the, the believers to do, Judah to do at that time. But then I want to take it, obviously we have to do this, we have to apply this to our own lives and ask a few questions. And the illustration happened for me this week, uh, not because I was at the doctor and not listening to the doctor, that was, not, that was, that was the imaginary part, um, but I actually showed up early this week for a, a morning for a couple of hours before the staff got here, before life got going at church, because we tend to have a lively uh, office environment from time to time with people showing up and things happening. And I'm sitting at my desk at 7.15 trying to focus on studying and preparing my sermon for the Sabbath. And my phone starts ringing about summer camp issues. And, uh, and uh, somebody about an oil issue calls me. And then another individual calls It's 7.15 in the morning. When am I supposed to have time to just focus on what I'm doing because I have to present on Sunday about the Sabbath? Wow. I'm like... Lord, I can't focus right now. This is crazy. And I thought, that is so much of our life, right? Is that not the way that we engage in our daily living? Uh, we'll, we'll wrap back to that as we wrap up this morning. But join me this morning in Jeremiah chapter 17, starting in verse 19. Thus said the Lord to me, go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah enter and by which they go out. And in all the gates of Jerusalem say, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take care for the sake of your lives, and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, and do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath, or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck, that they might not hear and receive instruction. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gate of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do not work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, and they and their officials, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall be inhabited forever. And people shall come from the cities of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the land of Sheplah, from the hill country and from the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy and not to bear a burden and enter by the gate of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates and it shall devour, devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. Does God take the Sabbath serious? He sure did, didn't he? 
We're going to look at some of the laws. We're going to look at some of the aspects of the Sabbath and what God was encouraging him, the, the Jews to do in this relationship that they had. But the thing that we see in the very beginning here is that God is saying, and I, and I put it this way, remember me. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember what I've called you to do. Remember the, the, the covenant that we've set down in our relationship with one another. Don't be like your fathers. And who is he talking about when he says they're fathers? He's talking about all of the nation of Israel beforehand. But I think as we go through this, you'll see it's even bigger than that. And this is it's a really, really neat part of the text is that it draws a bigger scope than even uh, goes past even Abraham. But he says, don't be like your fathers. And what classification did he give their fathers? In verse 23. Yet they did not listen or incline their ears, but stiffened their necks that they may not hear and receive instruction. I think to myself from time to time, as I'm reading scripture and I'm wrestling with what God's asked me to do, am I, am I a stiff-necked individual? Some of my Bible school's Instructors would have said, no, but you really have a problem with authority. But instead, he says, he gives them directives, and he, and he says, don't bear a burden. And, and what is he referring to? We're going to take a second and just go back and look. What is it exactly that God is referring to? Is this the first time they've heard about this? No. He actually writes about it in several different places. So jump in your Bibles with me to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're going to look at a couple of Old Testament passages today, and just to get our bearing on where God's going with this, what his intent is, and, and really what the focus of this command is for. You got to love the distractions, right? This morning, that, was a, that illustration worked way better than I thought, and I get up here and I just found a Nerf bullet, so <laughs> it's so hard for me to focus. <laughs> All right, Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 12, it says this, <clears throat> Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughters or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your living livestock. For the sojourner who is with you in your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may have rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So we see in this Sabbath, in this, in this uh, picture of what he commanded them, Part of it, he commanded them to take a Sabbath for their own rest, right? Part of it, he commanded them to take a Sabbath for the rest of their livestock and their sojourners and even their slaves. He specifically says so that your slaves, those that work in your, uh, in your household, will have a rest as well. And then he specifically references the fact that he, they were once slaves and he, they do the Sabbath so that they can be reminded of the condition they were in when God rescued and redeemed them and brought them out of slavery and made them into the nation that they are. It's interesting, I think, when we think of the Sabbath and we think of taking the break. I don't know if you guys grew up in, in the church environment like I did, uh, but there was always discussion about the Sabbath. 
who should keep it? Do we as Christians have to keep it? What does it mean? What, how do we deal with all this stuff? Um, one of the best descriptions I think I've received recently actually came out of Tyler's uh, Gospel of John class last uh, Sunday or uh, last Monday night. Uh, so this is a this is just another plug for showing up here at uh, remind me it's six six o'clock here on Monday nights. Um, we have plenty of seating. In fact, those of you that sat in purple chairs today win free admittance to the sun, to the Monday night class. Look around. Um, but it was really cool because he reminded us that there's a ceremonial law that's attached to the Jewish laws that we see, but there's also a moral law attached to these laws as well. And there are times where when God's working that the ceremonial law and the moral law are meant to be together and they function together. And then we're, we're going to see today that some of those ceremonial laws actually uh, were fulfilled in Christ but the moral laws still exist because of the character of God. And you're going to see that today, so don't, don't panic. I'm actually really excited. I've, been, I've spent the last two weeks wrestling in my own life going, do I Sabbath? How do I? Do I really rest? Am I really finding that I'm being restored to health, to wholeness, as I'm focusing on the Lord and taking that time? And again, that, I, I shared with you the illustration of what happened in my life this week as I was trying to do that. And so my bride and I are really wrestling with that going, where do we find the time? Oh, I said that. Did you guys hear what I said? Where do I find the time? You, you do realize what that means, right? Yeah, and, and it means that I'm, I'm looking at everything else and I'm weighing out everything based on its value to me and then I'm going to decide which things are less valuable than time with the Lord. Do I have to find that time or should I be able to, to fi figure out? Anyway, sorry, personal issue. I feel like I'm making God, uh, like he has to compete for my time when I say it that way. And he shouldn't. This is going to be so much fun. What is the Sabbath then? Turn to Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to see the explanation of the law. It's actually the fourth commandment that we have in the Ten Commandments as well. But here's, here's the law described a little bit more, um, a little bit more uh, uh, or a little bit better description of it in Exodus chapter tw uh, 23, verse 10. It says this, Exodus 23.10, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its, ye its yield. But the seventh year let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. So we have this picture of the Sabbath. We have this picture of working six days, taking the seventh day off. Can you imagine e even in the model of our lifestyle right now, uh, dedicating, my, my, you know, I grew up farming. Um, I grew up farming, and so I've been around the farm community. And my dad was, uh, he was actually trained in uh, like a, a farming model that was about maintaining a healthy land, not, not maximizing your growth. 
uh, not maximizing profit or, or the yield off the land. And so he did what, what we would actually do. He'd rotate his crops around, and he had certain things that he would plant at certain times, and then he would only let those be planted in that field for a certain number of years, and then it would move to another field. He would plow it up, and we'd move it around. And so he rotated crops. You can tell I'm a great farmer because I can't remember the technical term. Ugh. I didn't really appreciate farming back then. How many of you guys loved what you did as children when your parents had to do them as chores? All right, some of you are wonderful people. I did not appreciate it. We were also doing it behind draft horses. So it wasn't like having a tractor to go out and plow the field. You had to harness the draft horses, feed the draft horses, and then walk behind the draft horses. And that's a different smell than fuel, just so you know. I didn't appreciate it. But my dad managed a very small piece of property and had it productive all the time. But he was constantly talking about what land, what pieces needed rest, what parts of the ground needed rest from, being, from, from producing. And you actually see God giving the Jews a specific model of how to care for the land properly and, and that it would be part of their lifestyle. And he says not only about the land, but also about their own lives and this rest that they would take every seven days, and that it would be a rest for their servants as well. Getting a picture? Isaiah gives us some good examples. We have another one in, in uh, Exodus 31, 31, 12 uh, through 18. And I love this passage. Because this is where God ties it to the covenant relationship that he has with Israel. Exodus 31, verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbath. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath for solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. You have this picture of the Sabbath here that's about a covenant relationship between God and Israel, something that the rest of the world would recognize and see in their activity and their behavior and say they are God's people. Would that be pretty obvious? How many of you guys get really frustrated today when you drive into a town and you realize, oh man, it's so old, they, everybody's closed on Sunday? You ever done that? Drove through the Midwest on a big trip that you're taking and you drive into a little town and you realize it's 5 p.m. and it's Sunday, probably can't even get gas. I'm confessing I was frustrated that one time. And yet, when you think about it, what does that tell you about that community? What does it tell you about the culture of that community that's still present there? In one sense, it says, well, they haven't advanced in our modern culture of thinking. 
I'm not saying that it's a good thing. But when you look at our lives and you look at what we do in our day-to-day events, are we good at resting? And I don't mean laying down and taking a nap. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the time where we actually shut down our, our busy lives, our to-do lives, the things that are important to us lives, and we turn our eyes back to the Lord and say, hey, I haven't talked to you in a while. I want to remember that you are the source of my salvation. I want to remember that you are the source of living water. I want to be reminded that you are the bread of life. And I'm coming back here because I know that's where my source is. I don't do that well. I'm busy. Somebody stopped by uh, the office and they were apologizing for taking time to talk with me about gospel presentation, about, about being excited about training people to share the gospel. You know you're too busy as a pastor when people are apologizing for taking your, their, your time to talk to you about giving out the gospel. Just so you guys know, that's too busy. That, that's not okay. Problem was, and what I realized as they were asking me how I was doing, I walked through a list of all the things that I had going on in my life. I started walking through all the things that I was busy doing. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Almost like there was a bit of pride in how busy I am. Look at Isaiah chapter 58 with me. Isaiah is talking to the nation of Israel right now, and he's encouraging them to return to a picture of the Sabbath. And I want you to notice some, some of the key things that he says in here. Isaiah chapter 58 starting in verse 13. says this, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you should take delight in the Lord, and I will make your, you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob and your fathers, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You see what he's saying? If you turn, your ba- if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, you turn your selfish desires away from the Sabbath, he says to put away your pleasures, stop doing the things that you want to do, stop making your delight your own pleasure, your own way, seeking your own things, talking idly. In fact, one of the challenges with work, right, is that if we're doing work, we're really trying to provide for ourselves, aren't we? I mean, some of you are crazy and you just love working. But most of us, we don't go to work for free. We go to work to provide. We go to work for, for very important reasons, and they're valuable reasons, and we need to do them. Can you imagine, you know, again, growing up in a farming community, if you didn't have your produce, if, if your cows didn't go to slaughter, if your grain didn't pr- produce, if, if the corn wasn't getting ripe, if all of that stuff wasn't happening, you weren't making a living. I remember a particular Sunday, the rains were coming, they were forecasted was for rain the next day, and so we went out and worked all Saturday night bringing in the hay. Now, again, I told you we were our farm with draft horses, right? And so we were picking up hay with pitchforks out of a 14-acre field. And they were rows. It was, all, it was all rows of hay. So you got draft horses 
a flatbed trailer and a bunch of people with pitchforks loading up hay all night long. Guess how good we were Sunday morning at church? We were no good at all. Now, my point being this, the wrestling that God is asking the nation of Israel to do is to wrestle with their very existence, their very provision, and to make a commitment to put God before even that. That's painful. That's costly. That would be challenging today. It did rain the next morning. It rained pretty hard. We would have lost that whole field had we not stayed up all night. Does that make it right? You know what's really nice? That was in the past. So it doesn't matter. I don't have to worry about that. I got to worry about tomorrow. I got to worry about today. So let's take a minute. Judah and Israel are not following the Lord. They're not following the Sabbath. They continue to rebel against the Lord. They're not responding to Jeremiah's words. He's pleading with them to just, (laughs) I love what he says in the text, for the sake of your lives. Did you see that? In verse 21, thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives. This is so important to God. This is so, so very important. And so the question that I've been asking all week and for two weeks now is, okay, so what about me? What, how, what does this mean for us today? The Sabbath is great. That was for the Jews, right? Some people would say that. Let's look and see what Jesus says. Don't you love it? Don't you love it when you can go and read what Jesus said? Not always. If Jesus says it, then what's our responsibility to it? I'd like you to respond to me with what your responsibility is. If Jesus says it, then what is our responsibility to it? To obey. Okay, are we in agreement? Everybody's in agreement, so you're all culpable. (laughs) This isn't me. This is him. I want you to watch this, and and I, I love what Jesus does in this process. Um, Because we're actually going to see him begin to address the issue, the difference between ceremonial law and moral law, right here. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to look at two different incidents in Jesus' ministry. They actually happen right here in Matthew, um, and it's just, it's an incredible picture. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath day. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. 
Now, we have two pictures, two stories that Jesus is actually addressing. One is King David, and I, just we're not going to go back and read it just for the sake of time, but King David was running from Saul, and he goes through, and he stops at one of the, at one of the priests of one of the temples that, that was available to him on the, way, on the way, and he stops, and he grabs the bread of the presence. And he, the priest says, he actually questions him. He's like, is this okay? And David lies and says, I'm on a mission for the king. And so the priest goes, okay. And David goes in and takes the bread of the presence, which by the law, as Jesus said, was only for the priest to eat. And he feeds his men. David broke the law. What is Jesus referencing? Well, he explains it to us. And, and then he talks about the set, how, the, how the priests, if they really read the law, they would understand that even they're profaning the Sabbath by working on the Sabbath in the temple. But he says they're guiltless. Why? Well, he quotes Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Turn back in your Bibles. You want to mark this? It's, it's pretty awesome. Hosea chapter 6, that's what Jesus is quoting. He sends them back into the Old Testament. And time frame wise, Hosea is again, he's, prophet, he's the prophet for the nation of Israel as they're getting ready to go into captivity. He's there, he's prophesying. Around the time of Isaiah, uh, Jonah was involved. So you've got all of these prophets prophesying about God's will and his plan for the nation. And in my Bible, chapter 7 is halfway, so just for fun, I, I jumped in this morning and I wasn't really focused and I started reading, for with hearts like an oven, they approached their intrigue all night, their anger shmole. I'm like, what in the world? It's not that passage. So I just, sometimes when you lose focus, it's really easy to get distracted by other things. So if we go to 6, chapter 6, verse 6 of Hosea, look at what he says. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. You see what Hosea does? He paints the picture of what God desires. He wants obedience more than sacrifice. He desires them to live in obedience, to have a heart after theirs, to be in relationship with him over sacrifice. Now, I'm not saying that he's saying sacrifice isn't important. Sacrifice was a very important part of the law. It was critical to the law. It was part of the picture of what Christ was going to come and do in finality, in fulfillment of the law, and make right uh, the, the, the issue that we have between us and God, to conquer sin and death. So sacrifice isn't diminished in this statement, but obedience is raised up over that. Why? Well, because the, uh, the behavior modification is easy for us, right? Yes. All of you come to church, and at some point in your life, the person you were before you got here did not look as much like Jesus as the person that is, is sitting in the room on the very same day. Why? Because we know that if we come in with the attitude that some of us at times have as we're approaching our Sunday morning worship time, we would all be in big trouble. Because people would be like, oh, you have sin in your life. Right? You guys aren't. It's true. Behavior modification is the easiest part of Christianity. We fix some behavior. 
But it's changing the heart that's the hardest part. It's the heart that is desperately wicked. The heart is what leads us astray. It's what we are constantly in battle with, which is why the Lord says that he's going to replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. That's why later on in Jeremiah, we see him talk about this new covenant that is going to be brought to place by God that's going to change who we are from the inside out. And so obedience is more important than sacrifice, although both of them are important. God is interested in being known, in being in relationship. And Jesus quotes that, and this is what I love that he does. He uses Hosea. He could have used all kinds of other texts. You see other texts in, in uh, Samuel talks about this when Saul rebelled. You see other texts where it talks about how God wants obedience over the heart and it's in, in relationship to the nation of Israel and, and other prophets. But Hosea goes all the way back. The word of the Lord here goes back to Adam, the original sin. Did you see that? We see in the Sabbath that God's pointing back to creation saying, I've done my work for seven days and now I'm done. This part's over. You're going to rest like I'm resting. I've set you an example. And right here we actually see Jesus quoting Hosea, which specifically references the fact that this issue of hardness of heart, this broken covenant that has happened went all the way back to Adam from the very beginning. Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't believe so. I believe that God is pointing the picture to the issue of the heart, the brokenness of the sinful heart of man, which started with Adam and is still continuing to be a battle for us today. But what Christ did on the cross broke the bonds and the chains that bound us to that slavery. And that that's the picture that, we're, that he is pointing to. Look at this next, the, the next passage in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus continues on. It's another illustration. We're on the Sabbath again. He's actually on his way to the synagogue. It's, it looks like it's the very same day. Verse 9, he says, He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, this is the leaders, the Pharisees, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, which one of you has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Or how, excuse me, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and he was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. You guys, I'm not going to get to the full complexity of all of these things. I, I realized that as I was studying this week. I'm like, I can't, I can't do all of this. But I want, you to, I want you to wrestle with me and to commit to wrestle with me in the reality of what this Sabbath process is about. Jesus specifically points out in Romans 12 how the Pharisees were hypocrites. They wouldn't heal this poor man. They wouldn't, they wouldn't allow the healing of this man, but they would rescue their sheep. And Jesus, I think, is specifically saying, you value your livestock more than you do the life of my people, more than the spiritual and physical wealth or health of my people. And he says that it is, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath, even though they had deemed healing work. Could you imagine that? 
you know, guys, I'd love to pray for you today, but it's Sunday. And so come on Monday because that's work. That's my work. So could you imagine? That's what the Pharisees were doing. And they had that law figured out. They had it lined. It's just amazing to me how we can twist this stuff around. So what do we do about it today? Don't worry. We're not taking Saturday off. I don't know. Maybe you are. We'll have to see. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 1. I'm reading a little extra here because I think we need the context for this, but it says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Just let that linger for a moment. Did you see what he says? They're to gather, but not to, not to dispute over opinions. Over opinions. And what is, the, what is the topic that he uses in here? It's the eating of meat, which we know if you, if you look in 1 Corinthians, you look at other spots, Paul's dealing with the, sacrif- the, the sacrificial meat of idols, and it's this huge contention within the church. That's, it's not a small issue. That would have been a cultural hot topic of the day in this process. And he says that you are to bear with one another and not to quarrel over opinions. So let's continue. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person, he continues this argument, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eat in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstain in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brothers? Or or you, uh, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to himself to God. Paul says that these issues are important, that they're prevalent, that there's lots of debate, lots of discussion about how we do these things, how do we practice this thing. Uh, There was all kinds of contention with the Judaizers trying to force the Gentiles to take laws and and to, to transition in their behavior. Paul, in this setting, he actually says, each of you do what is right by your conviction between you and the Lord on these issues and do it wholly to the Lord. Because who's your judge? The Lord. So, when we come to Sabbath, when we come to what we're going to do on that day, I love this. We're going to take just, I just want you to see this. It's not 
It's not the end of the world. I don't know that it'll change your lives, but uh, Acts chapter 7, or Acts chapter 20, verse 7, Paul actually specifically talks about the day. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 7 through 12. On the first day of the week, when we gather together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Uh, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, uh, sitting on the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, he said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he convened, uh, conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed, and they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Why did I read all that? Because I love the fact that somebody died during Paul's sermon. It's just an encouragement for a pastor. The reason that I, that I want you to see all of that picture is because this is the day of the Lord that they're gathering on. There was a week, there was a time in which they gathered. It was always the first. In fact, there's another passage where Paul specifically says, gather on the first day. He commands the churches to do this. Why? And again, I don't have time to pull all this aside, but I want to challenge you to go and look this up. But what is the day of the Lord? What is the process of transition that happens when Christ is raised again on the first day of the week? And what does he challenge his disciples to look forward to, to anticipate his coming? And so some of commentaries would say that the first day of the week, the reason that we as a church celebrate on Sunday, that we commit our time on Sunday is because we're looking forward to, we're looking to the anticipation of his return. So it's the beginning of his kingdom, and we now look forward to his return. And so that's why they moved to the, the celebration of their day of the Lord to Sunday. That is a very microscopic, brief description. I really want to encourage you that there's a lot more to be studied in that and to go and grab your Bibles and read commentaries and do all those things. It is a profound study. John, the author of the Gospel of John, and also the writer of Revelation, describes an experience that I want us to end with today. Revelation chapter 1. I mean, it's this beautiful picture, and it's, it's part of what I've been wrestling through uh, over the last few weeks. <clears throat> uh, the Gospel of John has been a, a prominent place for me over the last couple of weeks. We've started a men's Bible study at, on Tuesday mornings at 7 o'clock in the morning. We've got a John Gospel study going on at 6 o'clock at night on Monday nights. It's been a real part of this process for me, but seeing Jesus... In the beginning, as the Word was with, there's just the beautiful picture of who Christ is has been really growing and, and being part of my worship and part of this process. But I want you to see a couple of key things in here. First, what does John call this day? Uh, look in John chapter, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother, and a partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island of Patmos on account of the word of the God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. 
Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair of his head, the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys to death and Hades. Here's a picture of Christ in his heavenly form. As, as John turns and sees him, he falls down as, as, as if... Actually, we see this happen with everyone else who comes before the presence of God, falls before on the ground, and is oftentimes picked back up in every account, in fact, that we see in the, in the Scripture. It says, do not fear uh, when they fall down, and he raises them back up. But here's this picture of Jesus, and we, we don't want, I don't want to miss the fact that he says that in, on the day of the Lord, the Lord's day, they specifically had a day of worship that they specified as the Lord's day, and it was on this Lord's day when he's in the Spirit, in prayer, and, he, and he's worshiping God, that he has this vision of Jesus. And did you see who he said he was? The Alpha and Omega, the very title of God. I am the living one. Just so you're not mistaken, I died, and I'm alive again, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Brothers and sisters, when we talk about taking a Sabbath, when we talk about making time devoted to our relationship with God, it is not a human relationship that we're investing in. It is not an intellectual study that we are engaging in. It is not a textbook that we are devoting our time to to learn knowledgeable things of great wonderment. What Scripture tells us it is the very living God who spoke the earth into existence, who sent his only son, who then died on the cross for you and for me, conquered death and hell, and said, if you believe in me, you, earn the, you bear the right to be called children of God. That's the God that says, hey, would you spend some time with me? That's the God who established the ceremonial law for the nation of Israel to weekly put down the things that had them distracted, the things that had them worried, the things that had them consumed with their daily lives, and to turn their attention to Him and worship Him and extol Him and give gratitude and thanks to Him. It's that very God that is in the New Testament saying that Jesus, as Jesus says, that God desires obedience over sacrifice Relationship over the ceremony of behavior modification. That's the God that the disciples committed a day on Sunday to worship and to, 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 to revel in. That's the God that Paul talked long enough to kill somebody at. Poor kid falls asleep into a deep sleep. 
Because Paul's talking all night long about the word of the Lord. The question from my own heart is, does Sunday belong to God in my life? I mean, let's just be honest, you guys. How many of us are super excited that I'm three minutes over right now? Our kids' workers probably aren't. They're still stuck with the sticky midgets. My, my point being, how many of us come to church recognizing we're not here to be entertained? We're not here for the music. We're not here for the, even as much as we are here for the relationships, we're not here for the relationships. We're here to meet with and to glorify God together corporately, to extol Him in praise, to be about worshiping Him, to be reminded about who He is and what He's done for you and for me and for this rest of the world. Can we commit an hour to it? You know what my problem is? There's nerf darts in my life everywhere. I'm trying to sit and listen to a sermon, and psh, I'm going off over, going off over. I'm trying to pray for you guys. I'm like, why am I worried about that? Like, I'm, no, I'm praying for this. And my head takes off, and I go other places. What does it mean for us to Sabbath, to rest in God? If he set it up from the beginning of time, from, the, from, uh, from creation on, he says that he made it for us. It was made for you and for me. Why? Because we are easily distracted, because we need rest. We need to be reminded about who God is and who we are in light of him. So here's my challenge. I'm not going to judge you. We're not judging one another. We know Paul says don't do that. But I want to challenge you to ask the question, does God own a day in my life? Does God own an hour of my life in a week? Does he own it? Not does he get it. Not can you carve it out. Not do you have time just as long as nothing else happens, but does he own any portion of your life? That's what I'm wrestling with. And I don't count church as his ownership. I don't. I don't count my week that I come in and work on certain, that's not his time with me. It is, but it's not the same as when I get up early or if I stay up late and I spend time talking with him. I spend time seeking him. I spend time listening. I want to challenge you to consider the possibility that God is still encouraging us to make a Sabbath day to make an appointed time to meet with God. We love appointments. We love our schedules. We love things that we believe are important to us, right? How many of you are excited about Christmas? Woo-hoo. We love those things. We look forward to them. We're anticipating them. Why aren't we anticipating our day with the Lord? I believe it exposes a heart issue, guys. I believe that it exposes in my own heart that I am independent, I am capable, I believe I can handle all of my life myself. And I very quickly forget who is the source of my life, who's the living water, who's the power, who it is that redeemed me, who is the bread of life for me. I forget those things and I get, I get busy with everything else that's good. Lots and lots of good things. But my relationship 
with the very living God, the Alpha and Omega, represented in Christ Jesus to you and me, who says that His very Spirit indwells His children. So He's present with us wherever we are. He, I have to try and find time to meet with because I'm so important. And the things I'm doing are so important that he might have to wait. It'd be like a man with a heart disease with a nurse and the doctors telling him, sir, you've got to look at this because if you don't, you're going to die. It'd be almost like that if we were to look at the very living God and say, Lord, I'll get to you when I have time. Just let me get these things done in my life real quick and then I'll come and talk to you and see if what you have to say is okay. Father, oh, that that would not be us. Forgive me, Lord, for I am full of myself and I am easily distracted. You know that. You made me this way. And so for me to make time for you is a challenge. And yet, God, I am convinced that it is the most necessary thing of all of my life. The only thing close to that is making time for my bride. And yet both of those two things tend to be one of the lower priorities because I've got so many things to do. Father, I pray that you would move on each of our hearts through your spirit to bring conviction in this area, to bring direction in this area. If, God, we have placed you anywhere other than first, I pray, Lord, that you would burden us with that conviction, that you would not let us slip away quietly and undisturbed, that you would faithfully pursue us as children, and help us to see the, the reality, the need of our time with you. God, teach us to rest in you. Teach us to Sabbath. Amen. You want to stand with us?
Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever in his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Have a good week. <laughs>